0: Matthew chapter 26, uh, we have again come as far as verse 31. The Last Supper is instituted, and uh, Jesus then singing with them, and then he goes out into the Mount of Olives across the Kidron Valley, which he had crossed many times. We know that when he was 12 years old, he had been separated from Joseph and Mary and left there in the temple precincts. And so from the time he was a young man crossing this black valley, realizing that it would represent um, his sacrifice, the the blood of the sacrifice has turned the valley black. And you just think as he's growing and He's a a young man knowing that he had to be about his father's business, what it was like for him every time he crossed the Kidron. It says, Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock, shall be scattered abroad. And of course, after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. So, I I don't know, that's kind of a bummer. After the Last Supper, they just had a feast. I'm sure it was impressionable, and the Lord's talking to them. And then they sing together, and then as they're heading over to the Mount of Olives, he said, all of you are going to betray me tonight. You know, just what that must have dropped like a bomb on them as he heard him say that you're all going to be offended with me this night. And the reason that's going to happen now, as as we're in these last days before the crucifixion over and over again, he's going to say this. Ford is written, Ford is written, Ford is written. And in these circumstances, rather than deliver himself, at one point he's going to say, I can call down, you know, 12 legions of angels if I wanted to, but it's written. And he's always more interested in sustaining the written word of God than delivering his own life. This has to take place. This is the respect I have for the word of God. This is written, so it has to happen this way. And he says... It is written, I will smite, not a shepherd, the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. Clearly, by the way, a tactic of the enemy. He understands that. And after I am risen again, and the guys still aren't getting a hold of that. We know that by resurrection morning they hadn't gotten a hold of it. After I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. So he's the shepherd that's going to be struck down. And then he says, but after I'm risen, I will go before you. That's also the description of a shepherd uh, going before the flock. After I'm risen, I will go before you into Galilee, the old Haunts. It's, as the King James would say, it's where they were wont to haunt. You know, that was the old neighborhood. That was where so many things had taken place. And you think he's saying, you know, when I'm risen, I'm going to go before you like a shepherd. And we're going to go back into the hills of Galilee together. I just think what that must have been like for them, at least to hear that in the middle of so many things that they didn't understand. Now, Peter is, he's stuck back at 31. He always. Peter, as you follow through the gospels, he hears something, he short circuits, things move forward, and then when he talks, he's already w- he's always way back where something else was said. So Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said, It has to happen because it's written. Peter said. You know, Zechariah is usually right, but he's not right on this one, you know. He's arguing with Zechariah. Yeah, okay, it's written, so all the other guys are going to yield to that, but I'm never going to be offended. Lord, you can can mark that down. (laughs) And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night, before the cock crows, thou shalt deny me thrice. Before dawn, you're going to deny me. Peter's genuine, no doubt, and he said, look, I'm with you. Other guys may be offended. I'm here, Lord. It's the same way we would say that, the same way we would be genuine about it. And Peter said unto him, though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. And then, of course, look, it says, then likewise also said all the disciples. So they didn't want Peter to get all the kudos. They all started to chime in there. Um, When you go to John's Gospel, it's interesting. uh, There the Lord says, you know, Peter, the Lord says, I will lay down my life um, for my sake. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me three times. And then we have chapters 14 through 17, which aren't in any other Gospels, right? After that verse where he says, you're going to deny me three times, wonderfully the next thing he said is, let not your heart be troubled. That's amazing when you put those two ideas together. Then the real Lord's Prayer in uh, chapter 17, you have the, the night with the Lord, 14, 15, 16, and 17, And then it says, when Jesus had spoken these things, he went forth with the disciples over Kidron. So that brings us back to where we are. So John chapters 14 to 17 are squeezed there between verses 35 and 36. And then he says, then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, which is the olive press, where the Olives are crushed and the oil is extracted. What a picture. He comes to Gethsemane and he says unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. Yonder, I'm sure, is a shot at a Greek word that's there. While I go, pray yonder. Now look, uh, Gethsemane was a place, evidently a favorite place, like the home of Mary and Martha because Judas knows to go there and look for him. So Gethsemane, this olive grove on the slopes of the Mount of Olives, you visit today when you're there, it must have been a place that he had gone regularly. It was known of the disciples. He loved to go there and be quiet there and seek the Lord there. It was going up the hill to the house of Mary, Martha, and Bethany. So he goes to this familiar territory. It's hard to imagine how much he must have prayed there. And he says to them, I want you to sit here and I'm going to go yonder. We're told about a stone's throw. I think Luke tells us that. Remember, it's a full moon. So you can see him. It's the Passover. Uh, He takes with him Peter, James and John and and they go with him a little further. Then he goes beyond them. Um, We have, of course, then some interesting things in Mark. Uh, Peter, he was audible. Uh, He was visual until Peter fell asleep. If he'd have stayed awake, we'd have probably heard some other interesting things about what happened in Gethsemane. But he says, sit here while I go yonder. And then he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, Peter, James, and John. And it says he began to be sorrowful, filled with sorrow, and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face. What an interesting picture. It says he began to be very sorrowful. They must have seen it in his face. You know, there's a full moon. They must have seen it. And then he takes them, Peter, James, and John that had been with him on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jairus' daughter, they had been in some interesting situations with him. He takes them with him, and and the Gospels all tell us he was sorrowful, interesting. It, It says, and very heavy. That's a really interesting phrase because it generally means... Uh, the, the, that he was troubled, that there was something that come on him. Um, but the Greek word, the phrase also means not at home or away from home. You know, he's there in Gethsemane. He knows he's going to take the sin of the world upon himself. And he's there, he, he, it's, it's weighing down his heart, visible to them. He becomes very sorrowful. And he's homesick. He's away from home. He's out of his element, you know. And he said, "The the birds of the air, you know, they have their nests. The foxes have their holes. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head." And I think about that often when we're in Israel and we're on the Mount of Olives in the garden there, and looking across at Jerusalem, because to us, when you're a tourist, when you're a pilgrim, you go there. It's also alive. And I think, but he's looking at the city of Jerusalem. And as he's doing it, he's feeling away from home, because the the earthly city of Jerusalem harks of and smacks of, and it speaks of the heavenly city Jerusalem, where his glory had been, what he had longed for. You know, so here it says he's sorrowful. They see that, and very heavy. And then he said unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. It was killing him what was going to be settled there. And they remember. And he says, tarry ye here, watch with me. Isn't it interesting? He's completely sovereign. He knows they're going to betray him that night. He had told him that. In fact, he said to Peter, I pray for you that your faith doesn't fail uh, and, and it was the other disciples had chimed in, so it's an interesting verse. He said, I prayed for you, singular, that your plural, faith doesn't fail, must look at all the guys when he says that. And he wanted human companionship. I mean, that, that's so hard for him to, you know, if I sit alone with him in the morning, or I sit alone with him in the yard, or I sit alone with him and, and things become so still that I can sense his presence, it's really hard for me. Because I'm such a jerk to believe anybody wants to be with me, you know it's really amazing for for me to think he wants fellowship. But but that's why Christ died on the cross to restore what Adam had lost in the garden. Not, yes, we should go to God. We can make our requests. We can ask Him for things. All that's wonderful because we have access. But the center of the center of the center is that he died so we can again have fellowship with God. That's why he made Adam in the first place. And uh, and he says to them, you know, come on with me, stay here, watch with me, be praying for me, please. It's so interesting to see him longing for that fellowship. You know, that there's the humanness, he's completely human and completely God. And he asked them, and it says, then he went a little further. And he fell on his face. It's full moon. They can see that. And he prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Mark, in his gospel, remembering this, Matthew didn't go as close as Mark did. Mark was close enough, no doubt, to hear him. And Matthew says here, oh, my father, Peter, through Mark, tells us that he said, Abba, Father. And that's there's a tenderness in that. It, it, it's we don't. It's hard to transliterate that into, you know, the English language. Uh, but it's more the sense of daddy. When you're in Israel, you hear little kids running around going Abba, Abba, Abba. You know, so it's 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 more familiar like that. And Peter's the one who, you know, through his gospel by Mark tells us that when he went, he fell on his face. The full moon. It was audible. We could hear him saying Abba. Abba. What was in that relationship, the ages to come will be telling us, you know. Abba. His prayer is: if it is possible. He doesn't turn away. He says, if it is possible. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless. Amazing. Not as I will, but as thou wilt. This is why Luke's gonna tell us that he's gonna sweat great drops of blood. This is where we see him agonize. Uh, when he leaves Gethsemane, everything is settled. This is the in some ways the holy of holies we we get to look at this agony that he has here over the cup. And again, Psalm 78, verse 5, uh, Jeremiah uh, 25, I believe. There's a number of verses there. Um, Revelation chapter 14 tell us that this is a cup of God's wrath poured out on sinful human beings. Revelation says it's poured out without admixture... And the smoke of the torment of that cup ascendeth forever and forever. Those in the church today try to tell us that there's annihilation when somebody dies and suffers, that they burn up in hell, they cease to exist. No, it says this cup, the torment of it ascendeth forever and forever. And and that's what Jesus, you know, it, it says he who knew no sin... Became sin that you and I could be the righteousness of God. It says, God laid on him the iniquity of us all. The iniquity of us all. Think what this cup meant. He's aware of it, he doesn't sweat drops of blood over being beaten and over being crucified. But it was over what would be taking place through that process, no doubt. Hebrews five said he was heard in his strong crying and tears, and that he feared. We get the sense that these men could even hear him crying, weeping, crying out to God, and there was a fear in his voice. It says, and he's saying, Ah, oh, if there's any way, it's hard for us to imagine. Let this cup pass from me, nevertheless not as I will, but as thou will. And when when that cup comes on him at Golgotha is when he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Again, never calling God his God. All through the Gospels, my Father this, my Father that. I don't do anything unless the Father says it. I don't do anything unless the Father says it, whether the Father does it. Father, I know you're listening to me. Our Father who art in heaven, you know, He begins and ends that process on the cross by saying, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. He ends the process by saying, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. But in the center of it, in the center of it, he takes your place and my place and says, my God, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So that you and I never have to say that. He sweat blood over it. You and I never have to say it. We can say, Father. He's promised never to leave us or forsake us, but here it is, my Father, Abba, if it's possible. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And it says, and then he comes unto the disciples, and he finds them sleeping. And he says unto Peter, Peter. You couldn't watch with me one hour. I, I can't depend on the rest of these guys, but I can depend on you, and I can't get an hour out of you. And I don't know he probably said that to me a thousand times. You know, uh, you could not wash with me one hour. watch and pray, he says, that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Literally, the flesh is weak. It is without strength. And I find the Lord's prescription here. He's the great physician. His prescription for a lack of strength is interesting. He says, watch and pray. The spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. It is without strength. And what the great physician says to us when we feel like we are wrung out and we're without strength, pray. Pray. Integrate your physical being with a divine reality. Pray. Receive strength that's not human, that doesn't come from a natural supply. Let him strengthen. Think of Elijah running, you know, miles, outrunning chariots. You think this old guy, you know, he's given strength by the Lord. Of course, Samson did a lot of remarkable things, good and bad, you know. But here he says, you're without strength, watch and pray. I like his prescription. And he went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass, so evidently in the first prayer when he said, if it's possible, nevertheless, now he's getting the sense Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. Luke tells us here, interesting, that an angel comes to strengthen him. Heaven is silent, you know, heaven is silent through this. There's no answer from heaven. And then finally an angel comes. There's no answer, but but the angel comes to strengthen him. It says so then he can agonize. And Dr. Luke tells us that as he agonized, he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. Luke must have talked to somebody, either Peter, James, John, or somebody who was friends with them, somebody who was... You know, akin to an eyewitness, one of these three men that were close enough to see that he was sweating blood. It's called hematidrosis. It's a medical term. And when someone is under enough stress and it's deadly, you're you're under so much stress that the capillaries in your sweat glands begin to burst. Instead of just sweating, you sweat red, you sweat great drops of blood. The stress that his human frame is under here is Incredible, and we know that in another issue because we're going to be told that Peter is warming himself at the enemy's fire because this night was cold it was a cold night and he is sweating he never sweat when he raised the dead or when he cleansed the leper never sweat when he rebuked the wind and the sea he didn't sweat over anything else didn't take any sweat for him to do anything But when he's there, facing what you and I are supposed to face in God's justice, he sweats. He's sweating on a cold night. And he's agonizing. And he's weeping. And he's crying out to his father. You know, it it says this in in Hebrews, and I, I actually like Hebrews rendition, Hebrews 6, better than, uh, I'm sorry, Hebrews 10, better than Psalm 40. It says, it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, because of this, King James says, When he cometh, the, the Greek is wherefore, coming into the world, he saith, as he's coming into the world, Bethlehem is birth, he's coming in the world, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared for me. It's literally a body you have fitted for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. So there had never been a lamb or a bull that came willingly. There had never been a lamb or a bull that walked up to somebody and said, hey, do me a favor, take me down the tabernacle and slit my throat, would you? That had never happened. This is the Lamb of God. He says he comes willingly. God the Father had prepared or fitted a physical frame for him. Look, and the remarkable thing about that is, in the resurrection and ascension, he took that back to God. That's the first time Adam's DNA and genes and chromosomes have been in fellowship with God, who drove him out of the garden since Eden. He takes that physical frame, which he wears forever, by the way. Did, Did he... I, I'm not saying. Did he sacrifice any dimensionality to do that? Was he freer in any sense before he took on a human frame? He took on that human frame to wear for eternity, forever and forever, remarkably. So he's here sweating. He's laboring. He knows that God's called him, fitted a body for him, knows that the blood of bulls and goats can't take away sins, and he's here in Gethsemane, that place of the olive press, and he's sweating, he's laboring. Again, verse 42, O oh my father, if this cup may not pass from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came, and he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. These guys are sleeping on the Mount of Transfiguration. You know, they're sleeping here in, in the Gethsemane. This is a funny crew. Their eyes were heavy. They were emotionally shot, obviously. And then look what what it says in verse 44. And he left them. He went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. He prays the same thing the third time. Look, uh, hello? Uh, (laughs) Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagin would tell us if you pray for something more than once, you lack faith. Jesus didn't know anything about that. He prayed three times for the cup to pass. Paul sought the Lord three times about a thorn in the flesh that he had. Jesus, when he taught about prayer, he says, Ask and you it shall be given you, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be open. It's interesting because Charles Spurgeon, when he looks at that, he said, You know, there are sermons in tenses. Because the Greek tense is there. It's ask and it shall be given, it's ask. And keep on asking, and it shall continue to be given to thee. Seek and continue seeking, and you will continue to find. Knock and continue to reverently knock, and it will continue to be open to you. Jesus here for the third time now goes to the Father. You know, he, he, uh, he, he seeks him again, saying the same words, you know. He's pleading, Father, is there, any, is there any other way but mankind to be saved? Is there any other way to deal with the sins of the world? Bull, you know, sacrifice and offering you haven't decided. You know, sheep, lambs, and goats can't take away, and bulls can't take away sin. If there's any other way. Then cometh he again now to his disciples. And he saith unto them, not enough, uh, obviously it's not loud enough to wake them. Sleep on now. Take your rest. There's a semicolon there, which means there's a period of time. We don't know how long it is. Was it 15 minutes? Was it half an hour? Was it an hour? He says to them, sleep on now. Take your rest. And I'm sure that he's not done praying. Probably says, Abba, Peter, what a piece of work. He's going to hack somebody's ear off tonight, you know. He's going to go rooster's going to blow his mind. He's going to run away, but you know what's going to happen on Pentecost, Father. You know what he's going to be like filled with the Holy Spirit. James. The first of my men to be martyred. Father, he's the first one to go slain in Jerusalem by Herod. Bless him, Father. He's been with me. Transfiguration, so many different situations. And John, Father, just leaning on my breast. They so say John was 15, 16. He was the youngest out of the disciples. He's going to suffer the martyrdom of a long life. All the rest will be gone, Father, and John will be there. Strengthen him. Keep him. Don't let him burn up any cities. (laughs) While he's here, he wanted to burn up Samaria, call down fire from heaven. And, you know, he said, Father, I'm going to stand with him on Patmos, where John would fall on his face in his 90s and see his Savior again, whose breast he had leaned on. So you can imagine as he looked at these three guys there, he just says, okay, guys, sleep on. And he's there with them. There's a column there. How long? We don't know. There's a mark of the grabber that tells us it's a period of time. Look, understand, too, that we're told in the Scripture that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It tells us in Hebrews 7.25, he ever liveth and maketh intercession for the saints. So he does that for us. I need it bad I, I want to hear him saying, Abba, this one's a piece of work. <laughs> Joe, Lord, put, put extra angels around this one, will you? Keep, it, keep him tied up because he's going to blow it. He could ruin in 15 minutes what we've done in 40 years. Father, just keep this one nailed down, and I'm thankful. Ask him to do that. When I get to heaven, all the glory's his. is got. I did nothing. He did it all. That's fine with me. Just let me finish well, Lord. Don't let me ever bring reproach. So he says, sleep on now and take your rest. And then he changes that. This probably awakes him because he says, Behold, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, he says to them, let us be going. Behold, the he uh, is at hand that doth betray me. So they wake up, look around. We know we, we get the sense as we go through here, they're shocked as they wake up. And while he yet spake, lo, think about this, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude. John's Gospel, chapter 18, verse 3, tells us it was a cohort. It says there, a band in the King James, the Greek. This is a cohort of soldiers. That's 600 men. It's a tenth of a legion. So there's 600 Roman soldiers coming with Judas and whatever temple police may have been there. They come with swords and staves from the chief priests and the elders of the people, and now, he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, "Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he. Hold him fast." Okay, we're going to get there. All twelve of these guys look like hippies. They all got long hair and beards. They all so the one you know. He's not the one who's glowing. He's not the one who's floating off the ground. He's completely human. The one I kiss, that's the one. And of course, John tells us, as they come, Jesus says to them, whom seek ye? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. John 13 tells us that he says, I am. King James says, I am he. He is in italics. He said, I am. That's what the burning bush said to Moses. He said, I am, the The I am that I am. As he said, I am, it says, and they all fell backwards. Imagine 600 soldiers with torches, all their skirts are catching on fire, everybody's on the ground trying to put, you know. You you imagine the whole scene, they all go down. No doubt that's what emboldens Peter to pull out a sword and hack somebody's ear off. He thought, this is is great, the game is up, you know. And uh, so we have this amazing scene here. It says, then Judas came forth and came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, greeting, Master, and kissed him. In the tense there means he kissed him repeatedly. Some translate it that way. And isn't it interesting? Jesus then says to him, friend. I don't know what I would say if I knew somebody was coming with a bunch of bad guys to get me and kissing me to point me out. I'd say, you, beep. (laughs) Jesus says unto him, friend, wherefore art thou come? And came they and laid hands on Jesus, and they took him away. And then, behold, one of them that were with Jesus. Now, John will finally tell us it's Peter. The synoptics don't tell us it's Peter, probably because written early, and he's going to chop off the right ear, Dr. Luke tells us, of Malchus, the servant of the high priest, who I tend to think gets converted in the process. But Peter acts off his ear, so the first three Gospels written early don't tell us it was Peter, just a disciple because there would have been another reason for persecution. So it just says here, Behold, one of them that were with Jesus, he stretched out his hand, drew his sword, and struck a servant of the high priest, and smote off his ear. Dr. Luke tells us in, in 2251 it was the right ear. This is a really important guy. So I'm assuming that Peter was right-handed, usually odds are. And if he cut off the right hand of the guy, that means the guy had to turn around to run away, or he had cut off his left ear. And uh, he takes a swing at the guy. No doubt Peter just woke up. If he had been wide awake, I know Peter wasn't thinking, let me take this guy's ear off. He was thinking, let me take this guy's head off. And that guy was lucky Peter was sleepy, because he hacked off his ear. I think Doctor Luke would have thought it was way more interesting if he'd have been wide awake and hacked off his head, because we know Jesus healed his ear. But he probably said, "Bring that torch over here. Where is that thing? Pick that up. Give that to me." You know, imagine if if, if he'd been accurate and the Lord said, "Give you that." You know, pick that up. Put that back on. You know, straighten it out. He's looking sideways. Uh, the, you can imagine this scene here. This is the last miracle that he does before the cross. This and he does it for the you can depend on me guy, you know. Peter, where did he get the sword? At the Last Supper, you know, the Lord had, had said to them, look, you know that before when you I sent you out with out a script, without a coat, without you know, he said, but but now when you go, take a take an extra coat, take a sword. That's all Peter heard. That's one of those verses where he short circuited And somewhere between the upper room and the Mount of Olives, he found a sword shop. So he's got a sword as they come into Gethsemane, and Peter hacks this guy's ear off. Then said Jesus unto him, put up again thy sword into his place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now... Ask my father, and he shall immediately, presently, give me more than twelve legions of angels. But look what he says. But how then, here it is again, shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? Uh, He said, said, put your sword away. You, You still don't get this. This was all prophesied. And, you know, how is it the, the scripture is going to be fulfilled if, if, if you go this way? I could call 12 legions. That's 72,000 angels, by the way. I could call right now if I wanted 72,000 angels. Just think of that. In heaven, there's multitudes, innumerable. 72,000, you can at least count. When you go back to 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35, when the Syrians had surrounded Jerusalem... And, you know, it looked like the end of the line. It says one angel of the Lord, not Michael, not Gabriel, just an angel, Bruce, we don't know, comes into the camp of the Assyrians and he kills 185,000 in one night by himself. Now, 12 legions of angels, you can do this for yourself, take 72,000 and multiply 72,000 multiply 185,000 by 72,000 which takes you to at least twice the population of the planet, that that could have happened in one night. Jesus could have called them down. But he said, then how, how's the scripture going to be fulfilled? You know, it's, it's, Hebrews tells us, but for those of glory that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Peter put it away. He says, how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? By the way, that's true tonight, too. There is scripture that has to be fulfilled about the day that we're living in, and thus it must be, if the scripture is going to be fulfilled. You know, I I watch the church, and we're looking at what's going on. Everybody's freaking out. This is going on, and these are the globalists, and they're all trying to get us to get the same vaccination, and they're all trying to do this. What's going to happen? I think I've been telling you this is going to happen for 30 years. How can you be surprised? We're right on course. We're headed towards a one-world government. We're headed towards an anti-crisis. We're right on course but we're right on course for the rapture. All of this happening, there's another thing that must be fulfilled as well. And I'm waiting for that. I am waiting for that. I just hope you don't all disappear and I'm still here. That's all. (laughs) How then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? And at that same hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, Are you come out against a thief? So there's multitudes of soldiers. With swords and staves to take me, I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple, and you laid no hold of me. But all this was done again, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And then all the disciples forsook him and fled, because the scripture of Zechariah had to be fulfilled. And they, that, um, and they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas. Now, there's some interesting things that begin to take place here. Yeah, we won't get through all those tonight, but uh, we're told in John... Chapter 18, you don't have to turn. Verse 13, it says, And they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father in law of Caiaphas, which was the high priest that same year. Now, Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. And Simon Peter is following, goes first to the house of Annas. Annas was high priest of the line of Aaron from A.D. 6 to A.D. 15. And he had, I think, seven sons that were all priests. But his son-in-law, Caiaphas, was an appointee of the Romans because they knew they could manipulate him. And he was A.D. 15 to A.D. 36 at the end of it. And if, but the Jews still recognized Annas because they knew he was the direct line of Aaron. And through that lineage, he had taken that position. Uh, and yet the Jews didn't like him. The Talmud tells us that Annas was so corrupt that he turned the, the court of the temple into a den of thieves. They said that because Annas was the one who sold the sheep there and had all of the things set up and rented out the spaces and turned it into a circus. But the, the religious Jews recognize, whether they like it or not, that Annas was really the priest appointed and that his son-in-law Caiaphas was a Roman appointee. So they take him first, the first trial. There are six trials this night. If you want to learn about it, there's a great book called The Six Trials of Jesus. It's a really imaginative name, uh, written by a scholar, a professor at a biblical university. But It's a great book, but it kind of gives you the background of all of the things that are happening through Gethsemane into the trials. Understand, first of all, it's illegal for the Jews to have a trial at night. They're breaking their own laws by doing that. They forbid that. The Sanhedrin forbid that. Second of all, they're not allowed to have a trial in Annas' house or Caiaphas's palace. It has to be in the Hall of Judgment, the official meeting place of the Sanhedrin. Thirdly, they're not allowed to seek for witnesses. It has to be a situation where witnesses actually come to them to give testimony against someone, and it says they're seeking for witnesses to come with false testimony against Jesus. And, And if they came to a decision, whatever the issue was, that the death sentence was the proper sentence, their own writing said, if it was unanimous, the death sentence, the vote, there's 70 priests, the high priest, 71 in the Sanhedrin. If they made the decision unanimously that the person should die, they weren't allowed to take his life because there was no mercy being exercised. If two of them out of the 71 said, don't do this, don't kill him, Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, I don't know. If two of them said, don't do it, then they were allowed to execute the death sentence sentence. If they came to a decision that they were going to execute the death sentence, two of them disagreed, there was, the rest of them agreed this needs to happen, they weren't allowed to do it right away. They had to put the prisoner away, and they had to go and sleep on it to see if God would put mercy on any of their hearts. So everything that's happening here is completely illegal by their own rules and their own laws as they take Jesus. Jesus. They just want to kill him. We're, we're told that already. That's all they want to do. Annas was running the place where Jesus turned over the tables and the money changers and so forth. They take him first to Annas. The first place that Peter denies the Lord is at the house of Annas. After that, the whole thing moves to the house of Caiaphas, and that's where he denies the Lord the second two times. So here it says... And they that had laid hands on him led him away to Caiaphas. John 18:13 says it was first to the house of Annas. And there Peter was recognized, said he didn't know him. And then it says he went from the house of Annas to the house of Caiaphas, which is the second trial. And that's where we are here. And it's illegal again. It says that he went to the house of Caiaphas the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. They weren't allowed to do that at night. But Peter followed him afar off. This will be the second time then. Unto the high priest's palace. And he went in, and he sat with the servants to see the end. Now, the chief priests and the elders and all the council sought false witnesses against Jesus to put him to death. That's completely against their law, even on a a lesser charge. But they had to have testimony by the mouth of two or three witnesses. They had to agree, and they weren't allowed to go seek those witnesses. Those witnesses had to come to them. So this is all illegal. It says they went and they tried to come up with false witnesses to give testimony against Jesus to put him to death, which is a decision they weren't allowed to make that day. But they found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. And at the last, finally, came two false witnesses. They're easy. to, to, to Today you can find them instantly. but uh, And they said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. Now, that's not what he said, by the way. He said to the religious leaders, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. Speaking of his body, he didn't say, I'm able to do it. He said to them, you do it, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. They say, we heard this guy say that he is able to destroy the temple and then he will build it again in three days. Now think, this is the Sanhedrin. Saul of Tarsus is there listening. Joseph of Arimathea is there listening. Nicodemus is there listening. Gamaliel, or Gamaliel, as my friend would say, is there listening. What an interesting, and it's going to tell us that When he dies on the cross and the veil is torn from top to bottom, Acts chapter 6 is going to finally tell us that many of the priests came to the faith. So you can imagine them in this scene listening to what's taking place. Jesus held his peace. It was all settled in, in Gethsemane. He held his peace. Isaiah 53, 7 says, as a lamb before his shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He held his peace. And the high priest, now Caiaphas, answered and said to him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, which is the Messiah, the Son of God. You know? they had said, don't you hear these accusations? You're just going to be quiet. And finally, the, the Caiaphas is so frustrated, he puts him under a divine oath. When he says, I adjure thee by the living God, the Old Testament said, if you were placed under the oath, then you had to answer the question honestly. So now Jesus, not to answer, at this point he'd be breaking the law, which he had never done and never would do. So, Jesus then said to them, Thou hast said, we would say today, you bet, you said it. Thou hast said, nevertheless, I say unto you, hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven you know, such a remarkable thing that's spoken here. Uh, are you the Messiah? Tell us. You're the Messiah. The Christ is the Messiah. Are you the center of our nation? Are you the center of our national life? Are you the center of our hopes? Are you the center of our future? Are you the center of overthrowing governments that have beaten us into submission? Are you the center of, of healing and future for the the Jewish people this Carpenter sitting there, you know, are are you the center of everything? Yeah. Yes, you said it. And just so there's no confusion, hereafter shall you see the Son of Man. They know that he's getting that from Daniel 7. Sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. I think Mark's gospel says with great glory Spurgeon said this in verse 64 if you look there Jesus said unto them thou hast said nevertheless I say unto you hereafter Spurgeon said I'm so glad that in my life there's a nevertheless and a hereafter he said that's where I live he said God says to me every every day nevertheless Charles you know you're, you're, you're messing up nevertheless. Hereafter. And he said, My life is encompassed by a nevertheless and a hereafter. I think it's wonderful. Then the high priest rent his clothes. Let me find something real fast here. So my computer computer notes. It says, Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witness? Behold, now we have heard his blasphemy. So they're going to say, yeah, we can put him to death now. Now, it's interesting because Leviticus chapter 21, verse 10 says, And he that is the high priest among his brethren, upon whose head the anointing oil was poured, and that is consecrated to put on the garments, shall not uncover his head, nor rend his Clothes, the the law forbid him to tear his garment as well, and he did that. It says he tore his garment. He said, "This is blasphemy. You've heard it. No, and blasphemy was the death sentence in Israel. You've heard it. What But it wasn't blasphemy. He was telling the truth. What think ye? You know, I, I think hereafter you're going to see this." Think of that. You're going to see this. Well, Let me me move down. I'm running out of room and time. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now you have heard this blasphemy. What think ye? And they answered and said, He is guilty of death. And then it says, as we move on, now they begin to spit in his face. They begin to buffet him, to beat him, all against their law. And others smote him with the palms of their hands, mocking him, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, you Messiah, who is it that smote thee? One of the other Gospels tells us they blindfolded him before they hit him, so he couldn't even duck, he couldn't roll with the punches. They were just beating him. Isaiah says that he was beaten beyond human recognition. This is where that whole process begins. His visage was more marred than that of any man. Who would ever believe this? Said kings and nobles of the earth, their mouths are going to be stopped and they're going to hang open and they're going to say, this is the one that, you know, we thought we were king. This is the greatest being, the greatest king that ever lived and his visage is more marred than any human Uh, It tells us in Isaiah, they spit upon him and so forth. Imagine if any of these priests here are some of the priests that came to the faith. And they had to live with the fact, I spit on him. I punched him. I mocked him. I said, prophesy, who punched you? And they remember, he said, hereafter you shall see the Son of Man coming with power and great glory those guys must have gone you know they needed to read why grace changes everything by Chuck Smith I'm sure you know you can imagine how some of these guys then process this whole deal I don't want to go into the next trial until next week we're going to have the third trial with the Sanhedrin the fourth trial with Pilate the fifth trial with Herod, the last trial back with Pilate again—some incredible things to, to journey through here. If you want to pick up the six trials, trials of Jesus and read it in a week to be ready for next week, that's fine. Pray for me that I get to reread it in the week uh, as we go through this. But look, great stuff. I think uh, as we go through here, he drank the cup for us. I mean. We're, you know, grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that's enough for us to embrace for the rest of our lives it says in the ages to come he's still going to be revealing his mercy because who can measure in those three hours of darkness the eternal suffering that he endured so that when he came out of it he said it is finished to tell us died paid in full before he died physically he had died eternally who can, who can comprehend that? Paul says he prays for you and I that we might comprehend with the saints what is the height and depth and breadth and width of the Father's love towards us in Christ Jesus that he actually gave his Son. So as we look at him with the cup great place to sit and realize he's doing that for me. He's agonizing. It's for me. He's taking my sin as making him sweat and agonize. Great thing to look at him, realize that there is a nevertheless and a hereafter for all of us as we look at the process here. good thing for us to realize here, probably most of us put our swords away. Except, I know, in special circumstances. But we should, we should put our swords away because he's got another way to do this. And uh, I think that's good for us to, to realize. And um, going in, I think we're going we're gonna to sing with him. We're going to sing with him. We're going to sing together with him, Zephaniah 3. What a day that's going to be. Amen. Well, until, until then, let's sing with Brian. Uh, uh, let's stand. Let's pray. And again, just I encourage you, you're here, you wandered in somehow tonight. you're not normally here with us. Uh, you know you're not saved and and you know you let me tell you, you don't want to face eternity without Jesus Christ. Make that right before you leave. Get up here and pray with one of the pastors. If you're here, and you've been jerking around. You're a prodigal, you're backslidden, and you're ready to say, okay, I surrender, I surrender, I'm done. because you're going to do that sooner or later. you might as well get it over with now. I don't know how many rounds you can go, but you ain't going to win. He's got more stamina in his love than you got in your stupidity or me. So if you've been backslidden, you've been a prodigal, get up here with us too and just say to one of the guys, hey, I want to I pray. I've been blowing it. I do believe he's coming. I won't really want to believe that he can love me the way I believed it the first day I got saved. And it says whom he forgives the most is the one that... That's the person who ends up loving him the most. So you come and let us pray with you. Father, I know you've overheard. Thank you, Lord, for this journey through familiar territory. But, Father, the, the, the seeing our Savior is unending in its depth and its beauty, Lord. And no matter how many times we come back to familiar passages, there's things that we never saw before. And, Lord, we're thankful for that. Grant those things to us as individuals, Lord. We go through this many verses. and There's some things that stick in one person's heart. There's another thing that sticks in someone else's heart, Lord. But we trust you to break, as it were, the loaves and the fishes and to feed us and to send us away full, Lord. Fix those things in our lives that are good medicine for us, Lord. We trust you to do that, Lord, as we lift our voices now in praise, Lord. Let this please you as it rises from this place, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen.